You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. stand together as we go to the word of the Lord, Acts chapter number two, amen, and verse, amen, number 37, amen, and 38, hallelujah, and we come now to the book of Acts chapter number two, the day of Pentecost has come, this is eight days after Christ's ascension, and the outpouring of the spirit of the Lord came, they were as Paul said later, sanctified by the Spirit. Baptism was just a part of the process. And so they stood there and they mocked. They brought their questions and they asked questions. Some thought, well, they're drunk. Some said, no, they, they don't know what's going on. And what, what meaneth these things? They had questions. And so like many of us can have questions about things. And so Peter stands up and he declares the word of the Lord. And when he declares the word of the Lord, the Bible says in verse 37, now when they heard this, what was that? That was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? That's the greatest question of all that you can ask. That's the greatest question that you can ask the Lord. What shall I do? What can I do? What must I do? And then Peter answered and said unto them, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized. Read it together with me. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The Bible goes on in verse 41, and it says this, Then they that gladly received... His word. That, that's the, the objective there. Not only that we come to God asking what must we do, but when he answers, we gladly receive. That we don't, we don't take a posture of challenge and say, well, God, I don't want to do all of that. I'll just do some of it. Can I get away with just doing this? No. They gladly received his word, and the Bible says they were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about... 3,000 souls. Oh, what a beautiful thing. What a wonderful thing. What a holy thing. Amen, that that was. Amen. We're talking about baptism doesn't matter. Amen. Baptism doesn't matter. Can I tell you, it does matter. Amen. And it makes a difference. Amen. Would you lay your Bibles down and let's ask God to anoint these next few minutes. Our hearts are mine. Would you lift your voice with me? Lord, right now, I pray, God, that your holy word, your eternal word, would make a difference in our life. For those that have never yet been baptized, God, for those that have, give us greater understanding and revelation, appreciation for what you've done in our life and what you're continuing to do. I pray in the name of the Lord, God, that this would not be man's work or man's opinion, but let it be the kingdom and the will of God accomplished in our heart tonight. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Can you thank the Lord tonight? God, I thank you tonight. And I thank you today. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. Baptism, does it matter? Amen. It does matter. It does matter. It does make a difference. There are many questions that people have, I will endeavor to answer them, not just with simple answers, amen, but to explain and show you from the Word of God the reason that we say these things. Does baptism matter? Yes, baptism matter. Does baptism make a difference? Yes, it makes a difference. Are you just getting wet when you get baptized? Well, that depends upon you. That depends upon your obedience and understanding, amen, a response to the Word of God. If you show up to church just to make a mockery of it, if you show up just to be a part of, amen, some kind of a scene, and you don't truly, amen, allow your heart to be open to the Lord, then I would propose to you that, yes, 
you are just getting wet. But if you are coming in faith, and you are understanding what God is calling you to, and you're dedicating your life, it is so much more, amen, than what we see on the outside. But there is something spiritual, and I would say supernatural, that is taking place in the act of baptism. Is baptism necessary. Yes, it's necessary, but rather than ask the question, is it necessary, when you realize what baptism is for, and you realize what baptism accomplishes, why would you not want to partake, amen, in the things that God has made available to us? We should not necessarily be asking, is it necessary? We should be asking, can I be a part of what God has made available to us. Is it just merely a public confession of faith? No, it's not merely a public confession of faith, although there is something Amen. Public about it because you cannot do it by yourself. You cannot baptize yourself on your own. But Christ instituted that you would be baptized by a fellow member or believer of the church baptized into the body. And so something is taking place because God is doing the work. You are responding. Amen. And the church church is there to administer and the church is there to verify, amen, that you are declared clean in obedience by the word of God. Is baptism, amen, just a public declaration of faith? No, because if it was, then it would be required that we set up a stage and a show and let this be something for the world to see. But we know, amen, that a Philippian jailer can be baptized at midnight without a crowd. Amen. We know that an Ethiopian eunuch that's just received the gospel of Jesus Christ can say, here is water, what doth hinder, amen. And he can be baptized at that moment. Amen. Is baptism important? Yes, it's important. Amen. Is the way we're baptized? Amen. Is that critical? Is that important? Absolutely. Because the Bible spells that out. I, I'll, I'll take some time tonight and we'll take some time. Amen. In the future, if you still have questions, amen. I, I'd love Amen. To sit down and talk with you and answer any questions that you have. But my intent today, amen, and in teaching in these series, I guess you could say on baptism, is that you understand it. Amen. So that when you are sitting at the coffee shop or the table or the dinner table or wherever you're at on the workplace and somebody's next to you and they say, hey, you know, baptism doesn't really matter. You can pipe up and say, oh, no. Amen. It does matter. Do you know what really happens? And you can begin, amen, to explain to them and to tell them. I said it this morning. I said, when somebody asks you about baptism, Although I welcome it, I'm not looking for you to text me, but I'm looking for you to take them to the text. Is that all right? Amen. You to take them to the text and what it says. Amen. We have established that for, we are going to assume that we are not looking to man and man's opinions, but we are going to allow the very voice of God to be our sole authority on baptism. We have established that that, amen, is only going to be found and confirmed in the Word of God. Amen. And so it is this Word, the ever-living Word. Amen. The Bible says, Paul said, all Scripture, amen, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, amen, and reproof and instruction in righteousness. It is this word alone. And so I declared that if I preach or teach something that is not founded and rooted and coming from the word of God, you depart from what I say and you stick with the word of God because heaven and earth shall pass away, but the word of God shall stand. It shall last forever. 
ever. One of the biggest questions that I had in the subject of baptism was, where did this come from? What, 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 what purpose, amen, what is really happening in baptism, and where did baptism come from? I grew up in uh, church, and thank you, Brother Rody. this is a heritage night, amen, for one family, and we ought to celebrate and praise God, give glory to God, amen. I don't know their story totally, but I'm sure that you can go back some point in the history of their family, and you could find somewhere where they weren't living for God, and they were not serving God. That's the story of my family, but thank God for the first person that walked into an apostolic church, repented of their sins, was baptized in Jesus' name, and filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Amen. It was at that point that alcoholism started to leave my family. It was at that point that marriages started to be retained and stay together. It was at that point that life started working out a little better. And if I could tell you this just from practice and just from experience this is the best life that there is in this world it doesn't get any better than God leading you and taking care of you and so what a blessing we give glory and honor to God and testimony to God that that ought to be everybody's testimony you say well I'm the only one in my family that lives for the Lord can I tell you it's got to start somewhere and you can start a new heritage and what a blessing amen that that is. But I, I grew up in church, so I, I, I lived my life. I know what it's like to use a songbook for a pillow and dad's suit coat for a blanket underneath a pew. Amen. The church I grew up in, we had uh, old, cold terrazzo floors. And a few years, I was an old, old building before we built the new building in 1985. I say that's new. Now that's 30-some years, 33 years ago. Um, but on that old building, it had been added on to so many different times, and uh, they added carpet down the aisleways and across the altar, so at least when you came to the altar and knelt down, you had a little bit of cushion uh, between that concrete floor, and if you had to run the aisles, you had a little bit better traction there. That helped out, but for all of us children that slept underneath the pew, uh, it was pretty cold, and so uh, that was the way it went. You see, I, I couldn't sleep on the pew because the church was too crowded. There was no room on the pew to sleep. So I grew up, amen, sleeping underneath the pew. And so I knew what it was like to hear the gospel preached and to hear the message preached. I knew what it was like after uh, service uh, when, when there was baptism, which was most often on Sundays. We would go, the children would be allowed to come up to the choir loft, and behind the choir loft, there was the baptistry. And uh, this, this building was so old that it goes back to the era. Do you remember when churches used to have murals on the back wall of the platform? And so there was this massive mural, and it was a rectangle church, and so the back wall of the platform was straight across and you had this massive mural, and there was the throne of God, and out of the throne of God came the river, and the river ran down, and all of these beautiful sceneries, and of course, very dated now, but the river ran right down over the baptistry and right on through, and there was the river of life. And so we would go up, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget that, going up and standing around and watching baptismal services take place. My great-grandfather, who was the first person uh, to make his way into that church uh, that I grew up in. I was a fourth generation in that church. He uh, was a lay minister, and uh, his responsibility over the years was to baptize people. We estimated, we don't have hard figures, but we estimated that he probably baptized over 3,000 people in his life. And so uh, it's interesting because several years, uh, just a few years ago, my former pastor, pastor rather, my pastor at my former church asked my father to serve in that role, and now my father, amen, is doing baptisms, amen, in Jesus' name. And so I was familiar with it. It was always there. I knew what it was about. I knew, amen, how to take you to Scripture and verse on is baptism necessary? How is baptism to be administered? What is baptism? I knew all of those things from the time that I was a child. I could... I learned them in church, I learned them at home, 
I went to Christian school, I learned them at school, and I could preach. In fact, I have in my office, I have a little pulpit that my parents gifted to me one Christmas because I loved to play church so much in my living room that they went out and they had me built a little custom pulpit. And I keep that in the corner of my office just to remind me where I came from. Amen. And uh, it was a little living room on 4410 Hoyt. Humble beginnings, but we had powerful revival services in there. We'd put the Pentecostals of Alexandria cassette tape in there, and every baby doll, amen, that was in the house received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Uh, I, I, I did not get as many baptized in Jesus' name as I wished because my sister sort of fought against that, but uh, we, we prayed for her, amen, in that time too. But, but I, I grew up, I knew it. What I'm saying is I was familiar with those things. I, I, I knew that we had to be baptized, and when we're baptized, I understood what it meant to be baptized in Jesus' name, which is the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. But, but my question was, where did baptism come from? Because if I, I'm trying to figure things out and go back, here is the Jewish culture of the day, and all of a sudden, this weird man out of the wilderness named John the Baptist comes wearing a leathern girdle and eating locusts and wild honey, and he starts preaching, repent and be baptized. And he starts baptizing people. And it seems like he brings this weird concept of everybody getting wet now. All of a sudden, this, this is part of religion. Where does that come from? Where's that context? And I accepted it. If it just dropped out of heaven and that was it, then I accepted it. But I always was looking, what, what, what context? Why were they so readily able to receive that? Why did they have such understanding? And what was the purpose? How did this all lay out? And that was what I spent the bulk of this morning trying to establish and trying to lay out. And that is that in the Old Testament, I won't rehash everything, but in the Old Testament, there were types and shadows that spoke to them so that when John the Baptist showed up, it was not something that was strange or weird, but it was something that they understood. They understood the concept. Now, John was bringing something new. He was, he was preaching something new in that sense, but it had a foundation and a base, and the Jews understood that, and that was from the Old Testament Levitical law of ritual cleansing of their baths that they would take place. It was not a daily bath for hygiene, but it was a ritual cleansing. And, and they were required by the law of Moses, by the word of God, they were required before any priest could serve in the temple. And after every time that they became unclean. They were required by the law to go back and to go through what we know as the mikvah. And uh, put, that, put that series of pictures, the mikvahs, the place of the ritual bath, put the, the pictures up here. And here I am in Jerusalem, and this is two separate mikvahs here at two different places, but it was a common thing. In fact, we don't read it or see it all the time in the Old Testament, but to Jews, it was something that was so prevalent and so common. It was just assumed, and it was understood, and many times there's allusions in the Bible uh, uh, to this process that we may not pick up on. When, when the lepers come to Christ and he heals them and he tells them go back to the priest at the temple, he was instructing them to go back in obedience to the word of God, to go back to the temple and to, amen, submit themselves to the process of the ritual cleansing and be declared clean by the word of God. It was this mikvah or this ritual bath that they had. Any time in the Old Testament that someone came in contact with a corpse, uh, uh, and, and that would happen. Things die. Things pass away, and you've got to bury them. You've got to deal with them. 
you were considered unclean and you were required to come back and you were required to go through the natural cleansing. Every month after the manner of women, they would be required to go back to the temple or the synagogue and to be cleansed. There were many other things. If, if somebody that was unclean touched you, you then became unclean and you had to go through the ritual cleansing. And in doing this, there were three things that were established. That's this. Number one, the first thing was that they acknowledge the word of God when they confessed, amen, that they were unclean and they needed to be cleansed. They were giving authority to the word of God. It takes a lot to say, hey, I'm unclean. I need help. It takes a lot, amen, to sometimes take that step. And our human pride would like to say, no, I'm okay. But they were giving license and authority. They were acknowledging the word of God and saying, hey, this isn't about my opinions or my ideas, but the word of God is preeminent in my life. So they were acknowledging the word of God. The second thing that took place when they went through the ritual cleansing was that they were in obedience, amen, to the word of God. They were submitting themselves to God's process. They weren't saying, God, I'm going to find my own way to salvation. I'm going to find my own way to be cleansed. They were saying, God, I am going to submit my life to what you have established and what you have said. Amen. They didn't say, well, I don't want to go down to the mikvah. No, you didn't have an option. There was only one way to be declared clean. And if you were not cleansed according to the law, you were prohibited from the tabernacle. You were prohibited from worship. You you were even prohibited, amen, from the community, amen, of the fellowship of the people of God. And so you had to be in obedience. You had to submit to the process of God. But once you submitted, amen, to the word of God, then the third thing that, was, that took place was you were declared clean, amen, by the authority of the word of God. The basis of your cleanness, amen, was not somebody else voting on you, somebody else looking at you and deciding. It was the word of God that declared because you have been obedient, because you have submitted to the process of God, you are now cleansed. And when the priest would be clean, amen, at the appointed time of evening, they were allowed access back into the temple and back into the tabernacle, amen, to worship and to serve the Lord, amen, and also to partake of the food that was their portion in the tabernacle. Now, John the Baptist comes, and when he comes, he is preaching revival. Why? Because the temple of God is so defiled. The Herods of that time, the Jews of that time, there was so much corruption that was in the church. And they were going through the ritual and the routine, but the heart wasn't in it. Can I tell you, you can come in and say, hey, I'm, I'm here. All right, check that off my list. You can say, hey, I want to go get baptized. Check that off your list. But if your heart, hear me, is not acknowledging the authority of God's word. If your heart is not submitting, am I boring you tonight? If your heart is not submitting to the process and the ways of God and saying, God, not my way, but your way. If your heart is not doing, then all you're doing is you're just going through the ritual and you're going through the routine. Jesus came to the temple, took a whip, drove them out, said, you've corrupted my house. You've polluted my house. You're going through all the ceremony, but there's nothing that's going on. So John the Baptist comes from the wilderness. And he comes. There was other people that had moved out to the wilderness, a group called the Essenes, and they were out there. And they were the people that were trying to hold the law to the letter. They were trying to get, they were so put off by the defilement, amen, of the temple that they said, we don't even want to be around the temple. They went out to the wilderness, and they were trying to get back to strict adherences of the law. When John the Baptist shows up, he's preaching revival. He's coming back and saying, look, you are doing all 
the ritual, but it's not happening in your heart. And so John is now introducing something new. It's something that they understand, something that they can, they can, they they know in context. But he's saying you've got to be baptized unto repentance. This has got to be a heart issue, and it's got to take place in the heart. Yes, do you need to be cleansed? Yes, do you need to acknowledge the word of God, obey the word of God, and be declared clean by the word of God? Yes, but it's got to be something that's taking place on the inside. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Got to take place on the inside. So, so he comes preaching the message of repentance. Repentance. Amen. We often look at repentance from the English context. And we utilize repentance. But if we were to go back to the context of the early church and of the Jews of that day, when John the Baptist came preaching repentance, amen, that word repentance was made up of two Hebrew words. It was made up of a word called Baal Tshuva. All right, Baal Tshuva. And literally that meant, Baal meant master or one who is married to, meaning that you are subservient, you are married to, you are tied to them. And, and, and they now are everywhere they go is where you go. You no longer have any say in the matter. They're the one that's dictating this, married to, one who is married to. And tshuva literally means answering. You're answering to. You are answering the one that has called you. It is an action of response. So when John the Baptist comes preaching repentance, he is literally saying that it is one who is married to answering. It is an action. Amen. It's not just something, amen, that you do one time, but it is a state of being, a state of lifestyle, a state of mind. And you cannot tie yourself to somebody unless you forsake sake, amen, everything else. That we get right about repentance because when you repent, you're saying, God, no longer is it my ways, no longer is it what I want, but I am laying all of that down. But if you repent, truly repent, amen, it's not just an episode that takes place at an altar and then you get in your car and you go back to the same sins and the same stuff that happened before. No, repentance in completion of the act is saying, no, I am going to be married to, amen, and I'm going to be answering, amen. So Christ comes along after that. John said, there's one greater coming after me. Christ comes along after that and he he says, now you've got to baptize all nations. What? In the name. Why? Because the name is identifying who we are marrying ourselves to, who we are tying ourselves to, Jesus Christ. And so we're married to Jesus Christ. We are, we are tied, we are conjoined to Jesus Christ. Now, now we separate sometimes and we can compartmentalize so much of repentance and baptism. But they understood that, yes, we may use two different words, repentance and baptism, but they saw it as an one and extension of the other. You cannot be in a repentant heart and not in a Jewish context, not be baptized. If you are repentant, you will be baptized. Why? Because I want to marry myself too. I want to forsake. I want to align myself with God and I am answering. I am in an active response. Amen. So repentance is important that we come to an altar and we make that confession of our heart. But repentance does not stop there. It continues on in the extension of the step of baptism. And what happens when I'm baptized in Jesus' name? When I am baptized in Jesus' name, I acknowledge the authority of the word of God. And I'm saying, you know what? The Word of God says all have sinned and come short of the glory. And I'm lifting up the Word of God. Can I tell you, that's uh, your first step to success is getting out from under your ideas and what you think is right and submitting to the Word of God. Oh, if you let the Word of God lead you, can I tell you, His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. 
Yes. Hallelujah. 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 So, so I'm acknowledging the word of God. The second thing that happens when I'm baptized in Jesus' name is that I am in obedience. Somebody say obedience. Obedience, obedience to the word, word of God, but I am submitting myself to God's process. Not just the process of baptism, but the entire process. No longer God is my life my own. But now when I'm baptized in Jesus' name, I'm saying, God, not only will I submit to the process of cleansing, but I'll submit to the process of regeneration. I'll submit, hear me, I'll submit not just to this moment, but I am going to be tied to, married to, answering. It's going to be a continual action of following after the Lord. You cannot get baptized and then walk out and never pick up a Bible, never go after the Lord, never follow after the Lord. But when you are baptized, you submit yourself to the process. That means, God, your ways are, are better than my ways. It's not about my ways. Amen. And now I, as Isaiah said, am no longer walking my own path, but now I'm walking a highway, and it's a highway of holiness. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. So anybody that says, well, I don't want to live a holy life. I don't, I don't believe in holiness. I don't want to follow after holiness. They don't understand what they did or were supposed to do at baptism. Because baptism is setting the stage for the rest of my life. Why? Because God's word is authority in my life. And I've now submitted to the process that God has in my life. Is this all right? And then the third thing that takes place when you're baptized in Jesus' name is you are declared clean by the Word of God. I got good news. Your cleansing, your spiritual regeneration is not tied, amen, to anything else. It's not bound by anything else. We live in a world that stereotypes and profiles, amen. But the Bible says when you're born of God, it's not of flesh. It's not of the will of man. It's not of the ways of this world. But it is something that happens that is declared clean by the word of God. God. Oh, I don't know about you, but I thank God, hallelujah, that his word says that I am clean. Amen. Hallelujah. So, so, he said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. There's no category in scripture for an unbaptized believer. Every time that they were classified as a believer, they were baptized in Jesus' name. Not because, because it's so much more than just getting wet. It's so much more than just a public declaration of faith, which is too often what we reduce it down to because we're trying to make it simple for people to be able to understand it, and we reduce it down. No, it's so much more than that. Huh. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. In fact, you can't even really be a believer unless you're going to be baptized, unless you've been baptized. You can't say, I'm a believer, but I don't want to acknowledge the Word of God, and I don't want to submit to God's process, and I don't want to be declared clean by the Word of God. Now, if people ask, is baptism necessary? Let me ask you this. Is getting rid of your sins necessary? And if, if God says, here's this wonderful way that we can wipe away all of your sins, why are you even questioning <laughs> Whether or not you can have that. Would anybody question if you won the lottery? Do I, do, you, say you didn't even play the lottery. And somebody calls you and said, you won the lottery. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? Wouldn't that just be great? I, I'd, I'd feel, I'd have a good conscience and I'd have a lot of money at the same time. Wouldn't that just be great? Amen? But would, would I be crazy to say, do, do I really have to accept it? 
do I really, and, and they say, you know what, everybody, uh, uh, this, this money won't go for anybody else. It's just reserved for you, and there's enough here for you. Wouldn't I be crazy if I didn't accept it? This is what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Why would I say, do I really have to? I don't know about you, but I'm saying, man, <laughs> I got sins I want remitted. I got stuff that I want taken away. What does this mean to them? This is for remission of sins, washing away your sins. Here's, here's the powerful thing about what we understand in the Old Testament law. If, if they were found unclean, they had to go. And they had to be cleansed in the ritual bath. And then the priest or the priestess for the ladies would declare them clean. They would stand over them. They would declare them clean. Why? Because they were verifying that they have obeyed the word of God. But they were declared clean not based upon the priest or the priestess. They were declared clean based upon the word of God. Because the word of God says if they do this... They will be clean. Peter said, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In the Old Testament, if I, if I touched a dead corpse, I was, I was unclean. But come here, Brother Ryan. Let's say that here I am living my life, and I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm, I'm going along, and I'm fine. Now, I don't know it, but Brother Ryan's unclean. He, he, he's, he's, he's foul. He's been hanging out with dead corpses. I mean, he's got all kinds of stuff. And here I am. I have no clue. And, and he comes up to me, and he touches me. And I have no clue. I, I'm not looking for it in my life. I, I'm trying to do everything right. But now, because I have been in contact, not of my own accord, but because I've been in contact, I am contaminated. And the word of God says that I am unclean. I need cleansing in my life. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't my intent. But yet now, because of some sorry old man <laughs> comes over and makes me uncle. In the Old Testament, do you know that people that had leprosy, it was a law. They were required when they walked around to hold their hand over their mouth and yell out, unclean, unclean, unclean. And the reason why was because it was their responsibility if they were unclean to not contaminate anybody else. And can I tell you, even their obedience in walking around saying, unclean, unclean, was giving acknowledgement and authority to the word of God. Even the unclean people were doing it. That's why when the man that has leprosy comes to the Lord, he approaches Jesus Christ saying, unclean, unclean. And the crowd would have parted and he had free access, amen, to Christ Jesus. But, but now I am unclean. It wasn't my fault. It wasn't anything that I wanted to do. But now I am unclean. The Bible says, that if I will acknowledge the word of God, and if I will submit to the process, that I will be declared clean. Hallelujah. And it doesn't matter whether it was sins that I committed, hear me, or sins that were committed against me. The word of God says, now I am clean. Amen. Here's what happens in baptism. It's not just the washing away of your sins. But hear me, Peter said, for the remission not of sin, but of sins, plural. He said, it is not just the washing away of your sins, but it's the washing away of every unclean thing, every unclean act, every unclean word that's ever been committed against you, everything that you're a victim of. When you go down in the water, 
watery grave. Amen. Your sins and everything that happened to you has been washed away. Hallelujah. And the Word of God says, I am clean. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Thank you. We got too many people. Amen. That go down in baptism and don't understand what God is trying to do for them. And they hold on to things that happened in their childhood or happened in their past. Can I tell you, baptism serves a purpose that God says, I want to wash it all away. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and behold all things become new now I'm declared clean by the word of God and now the priests were allowed to go back in the presence of the Lord they were allowed to take the supplements of the food that God had given them in the New Testament the Bible says our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost and we are a chosen generation a royal priesthood can I tell you when we're baptized it doesn't matter if you're Gentile or Jew it doesn't matter if you're male or female it doesn't matter what your past is it doesn't matter what your pedigree is you have been declared clean by the word of God hallelujah 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 Amen. Peter talks about it in 1 Peter chapter number 1 when he's speaking to a bunch of Jews or rather a bunch of Gentiles. Here he is a Jew speaking to Gentiles. And you can read in 1 Peter chapter 1 where he says you are a part, amen, of the inheritance that God has. It doesn't matter that you were not Jewish. It does not matter that you were not of Abraham. What matters is that you have been declared Declared clean by the word of the Lord and sanctified by his spirit. It's the word of God that washes away all of our sins. Washes away all of our sins. By extension, everything that happens when they came up out of that mikvah and they went back into the temple, it didn't matter. Brother Ryan, this old man that wasn't so kind contaminated me. Look at him. Look at him. This, this is contaminating me. What's up with that? But I, 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 I confessed, even though it wasn't my fault, that the word of God is still right. And it's still true. And no matter how it happened, I needed cleansed and rid of all this ungodly stuff in my life. And so I submitted to the process. And now I was declared clean after I had been washed. You know what? When I came up out of there, I had access at the appointed time back to the tabernacle. And you know what? It was as if he had never done it, as if he had never contaminated me. So you know what that means? That means that I can't hold a grudge against him because God made it as if I had never done it, as if it had never happened to me. It means that I had forgiveness inside of my heart just as Christ forgave me. That's why when the Lord tells us to pray in his prayer, he said, Father, forgive us our debts. Why? As we forgive those who trespass against us. Why? Because we're going to be changed by the word of God and it will be as if it never happened to us now did it happen yes it happened but spiritually there is no limitation to the access that we have and get this I can't use him as an excuse for why my life is sorry now (laughs) because I have full access to everything that God has for me I'm not saying that we turn a blind eye and we act like things haven't happened to us. No, we can acknowledge there were things that happened to us. But can I tell you, we no longer can use those as an excuse for why we're living the way we're living. He that the Son hath set free is free indeed. Hallelujah. 
It doesn't matter if you were a murderer, a fornicator. It doesn't matter what went on. God now says, I'm giving you full access. You've got as much access to the joy of the Lord as I've got. You've got as much access to the peace and the power and the grace of God as anyone else has. So why are we still asking, is it necessary when it's available? Then they stand together with me, which gladly received his word, were baptized. The gospel pattern we see, we'll talk about this a little bit later on, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection comes to us. Romans and Paul says we are buried together with him in baptism. That like as Christ was resurrected, we also should walk in the newness of life. Why wouldn't you want to be baptized in Jesus' name? Do you have to be baptized multiple times? No, you don't have to be baptized multiple times. John came. And his baptism was unique because John was not preaching that you needed to be baptized under repentance every day. No, once you did it, you were in that process of answering. You were in that process of responding to the Lord. Christ comes along and builds on that and says, look, Christ submitted, number one, to the the baptism of John. But then he says, you've got to be baptized in the name. Be baptized in the name. The disciples understood that. They knew what it was about. Now, you didn't have to be baptized once for repentance and then baptized in the name the second time. They knew it was an extension of what was going on. And so in Acts chapter number 19, when they found the apostles, or the disciples rather, in Ephesus, or the believers, they said, hey, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They said, we haven't heard about the Holy Ghost. And they said, well, what baptism then? How, how were you baptized? What baptism were you baptized with? And so we were, we were baptized into John's baptism. Now something interesting concurrently was going on historically, and that was in Judaism about the same time, and we know it was established by 70 A.D., that initial ritual baptism for entrance to become a Jew in faith, not in lineage, but in faith, was initiated in the church. That was happening at the same time. But this predates that. This was not built upon that. This was built upon what we talked about was established in the Old Testament. And Peter says, or Paul says rather in Acts chapter 19, he said, if you've been baptized in Jesus Christ, he preached to them Jesus. You've been baptized into John's repentance, but you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And he baptizes them in the name of Jesus Christ. What is repentance and what is baptism? It is literally, I'm marrying myself to answering. Literally, if we translate it, One who is married to, comma, answering. So when I'm baptized, I only have to be baptized once. And once I'm baptized, I'm declared clean by the word of God. But from that day forward, I am submitted to the process and the word of God. His ways now are above my ways, become my ways, and I follow after him. I'm not fighting against the Lord in that sense. And I'm answering the Lord. In fact, now I've been empowered to obey God because the things that prohibited me and hindered me from being living in obedience to God and fulfilling the will and the purpose of God, those things have been done away with in the water. It washes away all sins. Isaiah said, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white as wool. God's going to cleanse us from all that stuff. It washes away all of our sin. This is how Peter could so boldly declare a great promise. We don't always understand this, even in apostolic churches. He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. In the context of what we've talked about, you're giving authority to God's word. You're acknowledging God's word. You're submitting to God's word. You're, you're, you're being declared clean by God's word. You set your life on this path for God's word. When you do that, Peter said this, and you shall. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. 
We get hung up sometimes. Well, why aren't we receiving the Holy Ghost? Well, maybe it's because, because you aren't living in a submitted posture process to the Lord. Can I tell you, the Holy Ghost is more than goosebumps. It's the empowerment. It, it's, it's the final process of sanctification. That's a whole nother big subject. Sanctified how? By the Spirit, Peter said. Jesus' name. I don't know about you, but I, I want it. Now, you don't have to be baptized again because once you're one Lord, one faith, one baptism, once you're baptized, they never rebaptize. Now, sometimes people backslide and say, hey, look, I, I don't think I understood and I don't know what was going on and I would like to get baptized in Jesus' name. And we will baptize somebody again with that new knowledge and understanding and confession because not going to hurt. But you don't have to be baptized again. Even though you make mistakes and you, make, you, you sin and you fail, you can come back to an altar repentance and what you've done in the water already. Amen. You can take part of, amen, in the spirit, amen, at the altar. So maybe tonight there's some people that need to repent afresh and anew. Maybe there's some people tonight that need to say, God, I need to put my life back in submission to your process tonight. Is this all right teaching tonight? I hope I haven't bored you tonight. I hope, hope you understand what's going on. We need to get back to that place to where I'm declared clean. Maybe we need to take some of those excuses that we've been bringing up from our past and we need to say, no, the word of God says I'm clean. And I have just as much access to anything that God has as anybody else in the kingdom of God has. Though they happened, I'm not going to let them be what holds me back. I'm not going to let them you got to tell the devil, get behind me. Because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. He stands before God and he accuses night and day. But the problem is, is that what he's accusing has already been taken care of in the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's how we can go boldly into the throne room of grace. Maybe you need to be baptized tonight for the first time and we invite you. We're going to open up these altars. Amen. Here, heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray that the truth of your word, God, would be inside of our heart and inside of our mind and our life. I pray, God, that we would live in a posture, Lord, in a state of being submitted to your process. Not just a one-time event that we took place when we went into a watery grave of baptism, but a daily event where we're submitting to the holiness of God and the ways of God in our life. Some things we got to lay down tonight. Some things, we got some excuses we've got to leave buried in the grave and not try to resurrect those because you've already set us free and you've already declared us clean in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder who would join me at an altar tonight, who would join me at an altar and say, God, I want to surrender my life every day. I want to live, amen, submitted and surrendered to the process of the Lord today. Can we, can we find a place to pray? Come on, if you need the Lord, he's here in the house.